down the street minding my own business. Now he looks me up and he looks me down and he says, hey man, what be this and what be that? And why you gotta look like that? Well, I just looked at him, I kind of laughed. I said, hey man, I am cool. I am the breeze. Everybody knows what time it is now. It's time for your resident pyromaniac, DJ Fire and Fire's Flames, to burn it all down. Dude. Seriously. Smoke is playing with his phone and it's making weird sounds, so don't mind him. 
Okay, for today, in half uh, half an hour, we have... Okay, that smells bad. Go away. Somebody tell him go away. We will have Frank Symes live! Now, for those who don't know who he is, for a period of time, he was with The Who. He has also toured and played with Mick Jagger, Stevie Nicks. He's a writer. He's writing a book. He has a TV show. Oh, my God. This guy does everything. He will be here in about half an hour. So, go away. So, make sure to stay tuned no matter what this fool is doing behind me. <coughs> we have some birthday wishes going out to Victor. And I'm sorry, Victor, but I cannot pronounce your last name. To Jenna Fesmeyer, JT Newberry, and Daniel Webster. Happy birthday, guys. And anybody else having a birthday, have a great one. No, sir! Serious? Yep. I'm going to have to lock him in a room or something. Put him in a cage again. <clears throat> we have a very special announcement. From Jessica Cook to Martin Grooms. Now, I happen to know them, and Martin also goes by Oki. So, it's to Oki. She says, everyone said we wouldn't make it this far and look at where we are now. Ten years going for ten more. This is their anniversary, guys. Ten years. That's amazing. Happy anniversary to both of you. And they are, I think it's three <coughs> to four years clean off of drugs. Yay! That is badass. I love that. And she also requested a song. This is going out to Oki, and it's Firehouse Love of a Lifetime. Aww. Aww. <laughs> you got DJ Fire and Fire Slings where you want the best. I got the best. Right here on Breakouts DJ's Radio. Yeah. 
Firehouse Love of a Lifetime requested by Jessica going to Oki on their 10-year anniversary today. Congrats, guys. That's amazing. There was also some poison, and there was Peter, <coughs> excuse me, Peter Sermon, Tokyo Night Dreams, requested by Peter Sermon. Go figure. Gotta request your own music. It's cool. I like it. So, we've got maybe about 10 11 minutes or so and the one the only the legendary frank slimes will be live make sure you're tuned in jump in the chat room ask questions get them answered live on air 
It's going to be a lot of fun. You guys aren't going to want to miss it. And we have a few more songs coming out for you before Frank gets here. So make sure to stay tuned. You got DJ Fire on Fire's Flames where you want the best. I got the best. Right here on Breakouts DJ's Radio.
All right, that was some Saigon Kicks, Skid Row, and Dear Souls. And as promised, I have the one, the only, the legendary Frank Symes live. Woo! Thank you. you. How you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Awesome. Sitting here in my home, in my studio in Sierra Madre. Cool. How are you? Oh, I'm doing good. Thank you. I'm having a great time. Good. Good. So, for anybody who may not know, why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little background about you? All right. My name is Frank Symes, and uh, I've been a musician since I was 10 years old. I had a record deal on RCA Victor Japan when I was 14. I grew up in Japan. I was born there because my father was uh, the legal attache for General MacArthur and then later came back to work at the, the Pentagon, the mini Pentagon at U.S. Army Japan. Married my mom, who's Japanese. I speak both languages. We spoke both languages at home. I grew up in Japan as an American, going to American school and a lot of American friends. And my father retired when, uh, when I was 15, and he settled in a beach town called Solana Beach, which is way too unstimulating for me. So I, <laughs> with his permission, I moved to L.A. when I was 15. And the rest is history. Pretty much. <clears throat> yeah. And I have to say, morigato. Doidashimashite. <laughs> <laughs> That's like my... One of the few words I do know <laughs> that I remember. Right. Right. You did mention that you speak a little Japanese. Uh-huh. I speak a little. I can understand more of it than I can speak. And right. And yes, I speak just a little bit of German, just a little bit of French, but I can understand mm-hmm. them way better than I can speak them. Right. And, I mean, I live really close to the Mexican border, so you'd think I would speak Spanish? Not even close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would just... Never learned it, never... I just picked up on other stuff because I thought it was cool sounding. Yeah. Spanish is deceiving in the sense that it it's easy to speak it because you pronounce almost every letter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some exceptions, but it's the conjugations that are difficult. Yeah. And uh, memorize all the conjugations, that's the tough part about Spanish. I yeah. always felt a duty to learn it too because you know, there are plenty of Spanish-speaking people in in L.A., and I should learn how to speak it, but I just haven't gotten to it. Well, see, I had a, a friend of mine when we were teenagers, and she was Mexican, and we would cross the border and go shopping in um, Agua Prieta, mm-hmm. and she would always translate for me, and, and finally I was like, look, why don't you teach me just enough Spanish where I can do my own shopping? And she was like, okay, so she taught me these little phrases, and we went to Agua Prieta and went shopping, and everybody was getting really mad at me, and I couldn't understand why. The last shop we went into, the the guy spoke English, and I started asking him in Spanish. What I thought I asked him was, do these shoes come in an American size 8? That's nowhere near what I said. Apparently, I was insulting his mother. Oh. And she's like... You don't want to do that. Yeah, and she was laughing so hard, and I looked at her, and I'm like, I'm going to kill you. 
and we would, <laughs> we would always park my car in the American side of the border. So she takes off out running out this door. Now, to be granted, Border Patrol did not know what was going on. All they nah. see <clears throat> is a Mexican girl run through the border, no stopping, nothing. And then a white girl right after her running through the border. <laughs> yeah, it took us a couple hours to convince them of what was going on. Right. And ever since then, I think that's part of, part of why I've always kind of shied away from Spanish, because I'm like, are you going to teach me how to cuss yeah. people out when I don't think I am? <laughs> right. I've had some funny experiences because I know how to speak Japanese, but I don't look like I speak Japanese. I speak without any accent. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think on um, the last show that we uh, did an interview on, I told you that story about that sushi chef that was insulting my date and me and oh yeah and i put him in his i put him in his place by ordering tea in a very elegant the queen's equivalent queen's english equivalent you know mm -hmm. of japanese and blew him away and he turned white and felt super ashamed and yeah because the japanese <laughs> culture they're all about you know respect and everything but when you it don't is. speak japanese sometimes they'll you know be talking about you and you don't really realize it unless you right. also speak japanese and then they feel bad was it mandarin right. japanese yes so he was he had dishonored himself and couldn't stop apologizing and comp my meal and all that <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have but, our... um but japan you know that's where i uh i was listening to Nat King, my mother liked listening to Nat King Cole and mm -hmm. um, the Platters, uh, Tony Bennett, and, um, and my sister listened to Miles Davis, John Coltrane, and Elvis Presley, and I liked listening to surf music. And so mm -hmm. my, I, my, the very first song I learned was Love Me Tender from my sister, Love Me Tender, and I learned that on the guitar, and I was 10 years old. That's cool. Yeah. We have and, uh, our first question from our listeners. Okay. This is coming from Jitters. He says, how does it feel to see so much influence like you influencing other people from your career? How does it feel mm -hmm. to influence others? Yes. Oh, that's a hard one because I don't know to what extent I've influenced others except uh, maybe... In the frame context of the who, should I speak about that? Um, you can speak Pete about Townsend whatever. Townsend would ask me some difficult questions about certain harmonies that weren't working, and I would have to figure it out and say that John Entwistle played the wrong note on the recording mm -hmm. on Who's Next, <laughs> and he, or or on Quadrophenia, that's what it was, mm -hmm. and on a particular song, uh, John Entwistle had played the wrong note. And it was a rub, and and Pete wanted to know why does that cadence sound so weird, Frank? And he was put me on the hot seat, <laughs> and I had to figure it out and answer it. So I have influenced a little bit, and so we all changed that note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bass note actually, but everyone had to you know go along with it in order to make the the harmonies uh, consistent. And so I've had some influence in with the who or you know with uh, Don Henley he would ask me uh, pointed questions about you know how should we arrange this what do you want to do and I would have to you know I always felt like uh, it's great pressure but I guess I work under 
pressure, okay? And I just kind of take the moment as it comes and do my best to figure it out. Cool. Yeah. Now you've worked with. I, I don't with... know if I've answered that. I don't know if that was uh, <laughs> answered anything you really wanted to know, but. Well, yeah. if he wants to clarify it, he can because I, I monitor the chat room for us. Okay, go ahead. So you've worked with some amazing musicians over the years. Yeah. You want to fill us in on a few of them? Well, I had always uh, aspired to have my own band to write my own music, and I had a band called the Whiskids that had a record deal uh, on a custom label with A and M. But from then on, I <clears throat> I fathered a child, and I felt suddenly the responsibility of supporting the family and I was offered a position as a guitar player for the motel's Martha Davis mm -hmm. and I won the audition there were probably 15 guitar players up for the part I won it and that led me to Don Henley nice. because we uh, Martha Davis and Don Henley shared a tour manager named mm -hmm. Chris Littleton and so he introduced me to Don Henley, and I got that job as well. That led me to, that opened up a lot of doors, including Mick Jagger, Warren Zevon, Stevie Nicks. I didn't have to audition for Warren Zevon or Stevie Nicks. Oh, wow. Uh, they just wanted me in the band, because I just got a call, and Stevie's manager said, well, do you want to be in Stevie's band? And I basically the same call from Warren Zevon. I had the audition for Mick Jagger, <laughs> and mm -hmm. I came to find out I was up against 649 others. Oh, man. Yeah, and he was judging us on every aspect of our presence, including, you know, looks and the mm -hmm. ability to stand up to pressure and, and the ability to improvise, to communicate musically, to... Mm -hmm be uh, comfortable in one's body <laughs> you know, and all that you know everything plays into it so I gave it all I had and, and had a good time doing it smiling the whole time and now you bursting can... with energy and fire and presence and everything else yep and now you had, liked it you had told me the so, story about when you got the call from uh, uh, Mick Jagger's uh, secretary I think it was yes that was a great that's a funny story yeah Go ahead. Should I, should I tell that story? Sure. So I got called in to the power plant rehearsal studios. I plugged in, and Mick comes sauntering in, practically dancing into the room. You know, <laughs> you can just imagine. Yep. And he says, well, why don't we play some blues? <laughs> so we started playing, but the amp I was using wasn't loud enough. Everyone mm -hmm. was playing really loud. So he goes, you know, it's all good and everything, but Frank, I can't hear you. Huh? And he goes, why don't you plug into this 100-watt Marshall? And I said, all right, all right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so I felt a little nervous that I plugged into the 100-watt Marshall, and then finally he could hear me. And then we went on to listen to 12 demos, and we had to learn those demos on the spot, and we were throwing a chord chart. Now make up something and play. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was an audition unlike any other audition. So, typically at auditions, you're sent a CD or mm -hmm. you know a group of songs and you learn them the best you can. You come up and you play them the best you can. Right. But with Mick, he wanted you to hear a song you'd never heard and then come up with the part on the spot. 
Oh man, that that's pressure yeah. right there. Oh yeah, we must have done it ten or twelve times, and I was able, I stood up to the pressure and did my Baptist Keith Richards sort of mm-hmm. Frank's version of Keith Richards, whatever <laughs> that is, and uh, he so I, he goes all right, you know, he goes. Uh, so who, who have you played with, Frank? Frank. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, I played with Martha Davis. He goes, oh, one of my favorite singers of all time. Oh, and, nice. Which was, yeah, and then he goes, yeah, because it was sounded great and everything. I goes, well, I'll be calling you. Okay, so I went home, and that night I got a call from Nick's secretary. And she said, well, uh, Mick would like to know if you're available for uh, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's rehearsal. And uh, he, he wants to see if you're available to help him find drummers and bass players. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, that sounds like I'm in. He goes, well, it appears so. And I, he just wants to know if you're working tomorrow. And I said, well, I do have a gig, but I'll easily cancel it mm-hmm. for Mick. And... She mumbles something to Mick, and she goes, no, 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 because Mick, Mick wants to talk to you. So Mick gets on the phone, and he goes, Frank, so you have a gig tomorrow? And I said, yes. He goes, what time's your gig? And I said, well, it's 10 o'clock uh, out in wherever it was mm-hmm. in the Eastern Empire. And he goes, well, look, how about I'll provide trucking and a crew so you can stay with me longer to help, help me audition bass players and drummers? Mm-hmm. And I said, Wow, what a gentleman. I thought, God, what a civilized guy. What a generous, friendly, and he didn't want me to give up my gig. And so the next day at uh, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock, I was back at Power Plant Studios Mm -hmm. helping him audition drummers and bass players. And it was unbelievable. And we just had this sense of simpatico. We had a good sense of humor. Uh, I'd never worked with anyone with so much energy and, and... he just spread joy everywhere he went, so I can't say any, you know, anything bad about him. <laughs> yeah, and, you, and when it comes right down to it, he carries a sort of inner humility about himself. You wouldn't uh-huh. expect that out of a person like Mick Jagger, but he is a person of great humility. He loves life, he loves music, and he works hard at it. Mm-hmm. He does. I mean, that, that yeah, comes across did. when he's on stage and stuff. Oh yeah, and he is that way behind closed doors, you know, behind mm-hmm. backstage, um, in any working environment, or, you know, if you go out to a restaurant, he's always engaging and putting himself out there. Oh, he's wow. So, yeah, he's just a wonderful guy. Yeah. And you toured with him? Well, there was a tour arranged, but then Keith Richards wanted to start writing a new so- uh, list of songs. Mm-hmm. For the for uh, an upcoming Stones album, and so he had to give up his solo tour. But we played oh, a few okay. times. Yeah, we played, our one main gig was at the Webster Hall, um, which is the old Ritz and the Bowery mm-hmm. in New York City, and that was televised, simulcast, all over the world. Oh, wow. And it was really pretty amazing. So we have a comment from Jitters. He says, guitar players do have influence on others. Yes. And they do. But you play more than just guitar. I do. I play keyboards. I play keyboards for The Who. And mm-hmm. I, played, uh, I play banjo. I play mandolin. I can play some upright bass. I, I'm a 
pretty good on the bass as well, mm -hmm. electric bass. I sing and I compose, and I do arranging and orchestrating, and you know, produce. <coughs> so here's a question for you. Yeah. Out of all the venues that you played at, and I know you've played yes. at some amazing venues. Which one would you say is your favorite? Mm, Grand Ole Opry was pretty amazing when we played there. Everything just clicked with Roger Daltrey. Mm -hmm. uh, when I played with Roger Daltrey, I sort of take over Pete Townsend's place. And we just had a fabulous night, and all <coughs> eyes were on us, and the whole room felt like it was in a state of simpatico. Mm -hmm. It was just unbelievable, the energy that we evoked and they evoked in us. It's one of those things where there's a feedback effect of music, you know. When yes. people start applauding, you get energized and your energy then makes them applaud even more. Yes, it's so you guys... Excitement just grows. Yeah, that you... happened at the Grand Ole, Grand Ole Opry with Roger Daltrey. That's amazing. It's, you know, because I know yeah. musicians will feed off the energy the crowd is giving and in return Absolutely. the crowd feeds off the energy that the musician is giving back. Absolutely. So it definitely has a feedback effect, and I'm sure we're operating at all levels and scales of vibrational energy, oscillations of music, mm -hmm. and our bodies and hormones and neurotransmitters, all of that comes into play. Yeah. Okay, we have a question from DJ Smoke. Okay. He says, um, did you appear on any albums of the bands that you mentioned? Oh, yeah. Well, I wrote a couple of songs with Don Henley that appeared on his Inside Job album. Oh, cool. And I pl also played on True Miles and in uh, a couple of, oh, and um, a soundtrack for a Steve Martin movie called, ah, I can't remember what that's called. Um, yeah, so I played a, did a couple soundtracks. I won a couple platinum albums for various soundtracks that I've done with other uh, with uh, artists like Don Henley. Mm -hmm. I've uh, uh, recorded, played um, on a couple DVDs and recordings with The Who. Um, cool. Yes, um, I recorded with Roger Daltrey. I produced a song for him. Um, which meant I also played guitar and gathered mm -hmm. all the other musicians who played on it, which included the members of his band. Right. But I put it all together and things like that. And uh, see, what else did I do? Oh, there was a recording I did of Landslide with Stevie Nicks that was became a single because we had performed it so perfectly mm -hmm. on Storyteller or one Unplugged or one of those shows. Mm -hmm. We had a recording of Landslide that was just absolutely precise. Oh, yeah. nice. So it was released as a single, and I heard it on the radio. So there there you go. That answers your question. Yes, it does. Now, I know that you have a story about The Who. Yes. Want to share? Well, which story? Uh, do you, are you thinking of one in particular? Yes. Um, because you had wanted to, that you were aspiring to be um, a member of The Who. And oh, I see. I know what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah, so when I was in Japan, I spent my last uh, hard-earned dollar on going to see Woodstock. 
when it came out, mm-hmm. Woodstock, the documentary, uh, which was directed by Scorsese, mm-hmm. and no less, and I went to see it eight times. I spent big money to see it at a Japanese theater, and every time, I, and I was knocked out by all the musicians that appeared on the film, Joe Cocker, Santana, mm-hmm. everyone had was just rising to the occasion and putting out such great energy. Um, but every time the Who performed in the film, mm-hmm. I was just, I took my breath away. I was mesmerized. And I didn't say I was going to eventually play with the Who, but I said, that's what I want to do. That's the kind of energy and originality mm-hmm. I want to create. And they had such a sense of freedom and with even Pete breaking up his Gibson SG on stage, and that was that performance art, and it was just so full of, I don't know, freedom and fire and energy. It was undeniable. And then not to mention their music. You know, listening right. to you, I get the music, and then the way they played Summertime Blues, it was like no one else to me. We have another me, question. They, uh, to me, the Who represented... There's a word, cosmotellurian, like mm-hmm. $15 book. Cosmotellurian <laughs> means to join the heaven with the earth. What they have is the celestial qualities of their background harmonies mm-hmm. with, with that kind of punk rock, heavy rock energy. They combine the two. Not too many people do. No, not too many people do. So, yeah, not too many people do. So I think people have attempted it, but for some reason, though, when the Who play a song like I Can See Through Miles, mm-hmm. they just have this great energy on the guitar and the bass, but they have those beautiful five-part harmonies on top. Yeah, they that's do. That kind of takes it beyond mm-hmm. even Beach Boys harmonies. Kind of. And sometimes even the Beatles. Sometimes even the Beatles. Yeah, I never had, had like, put that together, but yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so they combine the heavenly qualities of these, you know, voice, choir, harmonies, and unexpected dissonances sometimes, mm-hmm. and with their this kind of raw, I don't want to say punk rock or heavy rock, but it's, The Who is unique. Yeah, There's they no are. one like The Who. It's just the way he plays that guitar with a physical energy and a spiritual energy, mm-hmm. that's undeniable. Everybody sees that. Yeah, it is. We have no another question coming from Jitters Um, his son is also listening his son's name is B and his son wants to know um, let's see if I can figure out how he what he's trying to say okay he wants to know how did you get into music ah well I started playing music when I was 10 years old I wanted a guitar for Christmas and on the army base US army base in Japan there was a commissary and I had my eyes on this uh, Archtop F-hole guitar, mm-hmm. and it was only $12.50, <laughs> my mom got it for me, and the moment I got it, I had no idea how to tune it, but mm-hmm. I tuned it to some chord that sounded right to me. It turned out, in my best recollection of that chord, it was um, a minor ninth, and uh, so it was a very sad chord. It was sad, and then I felt this kind of transcendent moment the very first time I played the guitar and I felt that kind of special connection with the cosmos mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to sound too new agey here but I mm-hmm. did do this 
incredible connection that music uh, became the bridge for me to mm-hmm. feel connected with the universe. And I felt that when I was 10 years old. And so from that point on, I played, I learned Beatles and Hendrix and later oh, nice. Zeppelin and whatnot and, uh, and Animals and, mm-hmm. and John Mayall and I put together a repertoire and I had a three-piece band and and we played the talent show. We played a junior high school dance for $65. And uh, that was when I was about 12. Mm -hmm. So two years later, I teamed up with uh, a famous organist named Mickey Yoshino. Mm -hmm. His nickname was Boo. And he was already a celebrity in his own right with a band called the Golden Cups, Mm -hmm. which was one of the premier bands from Japan. And uh, one of the most convincing in terms of uh, their attitude about the music mm-hmm. and so he came from this band and he was because of some legal matters he was forced to quit the band and he had he, so he decided to form a new band and he formed it with me and uh, a bass player from a naval base named mm-hmm. Steve Box drummer and we we got a record deal through uh, the inter, um, we were introduced to a one of the producers at RCA Victor who came down to our rehearsal room and he right away said, well, let's make a record. Not so, many people get a record deal when they're 14. Right. <laughs> I thought everything in life came that easy. Yeah, at that point <laughs> I was given the wrong impression. But anyway, so I had that record deal, but I left it behind. My father retired, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. when I was 14, 15, going on 15, and then he moved to this little beach town and I couldn't stand living there or stand living with my dad. So I moved to LA and I had no ties in in this, all of LA, mm-hmm. no nepotism, no nepotistic ties with anybody from the industry, but I just started from the ground up. Um, I played in progressive bands, rock and roll bands, a glam band called the Whiz Kids that received considerable acclaim mm-hmm. and we were written about in LA Times and whatnot and, and years of playing with many different in situations I uh, wound up playing with Martha Davis which was really the that first time I kind of got over the fence mm-hmm. to the other side of the professional industry uh, and rose up from the club level to you know concerts right and and recording at a professional level and I wound up being her producer for a while, and I produced her songs in her little studio in Encino, California. Mm-hmm. And that led me, then, uh, as I said earlier, uh, the Martha shared a tour manager with Don Henley. Don Henley had just fired a guitarist for saying something racist. Mm-hmm. And then I auditioned and won the position with Don. That opened up tremendous doors, you know. Oh yeah, I bet. Uh, and including all the composing work I did for LA Post Music and Paramount Television, mm-hmm. that was definitely a spinoff of playing with people like, you know, when you go into Paramount TV with your resume that says you played with Don Henley, you co-composed songs with them, you played with Mick Jagger, Stevie Nicks, Warren Zevon, they go, oh, you're not just anybody. So people look at you differently. Right. And every, every credit you get accumulates and accretes your standing in the industry. And that's how 
I got to where I went. Okay, and we have a question from Big Boss Man. He okay. wants to know if you are still active in the music industry. Oh, yeah. Well, certainly the pandemic has put breaks on some of the aspects of what I do, but I'm still uh, doing some producing for uh, two songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I'm getting raised. I've already composed some music for a gaming company. Oh, cool. And... Um, so I'm active still in, you know, not in the way, ways that I was active, uh, but I, now we're, we're, I can't really say who, but you can imagine right. um, who might be asking me to tour this fall if the government allows it, oh. the tour to happen. But So there's a, a tour of the West Coast mm-hmm. with an unnamed artist. Well, when you can tell me, let me know, because I would love to announce it. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm privy to talk about it yet. Right, and I understand when that. When the time is right, I will definitely announce it, and you're, you'll be free to talk about it, too. Awesome. Now, yeah. you also do, um, like, TV and, and music, uh, or film yeah. music composing. And that's right. you've done music that was uh, on a Stephen King movie. Oh, that's right. I even sang it. Did you? They had uh, the production of a particular Stephen King film included several producers, and they wanted the last part to include a song, mm-hmm. uh, You Don't Have to Walk Alone. Did you hear it? Yes, I have. I've seen the movie. Yeah, the movie okay. is the same. So they said, well, we want a really good singer. So we tried out a bunch of different singers, and they didn't like anybody. Mm-hmm. And so at the 11th hour, I give it a shot with my voice and then tell them it was me. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to it, and they go, well, who's the guy with the young-sounding voice? We like him. <laughs> <laughs> that's the voice we need. And I go, well, that, that's the producer. <laughs> Well, we're going to use his voice. So after we tried three or four singers, they wound up using my voice, which is a real feather in my cap, singing on a Stephen King film. And I wound up doing it. It, it contained real strings, um, a pianist, uh, John Corey, who wound up playing with uh, The Who, mm-hmm. and a drummer named Mike Lazier, and a bass player named Jamie Hunting, and uh, most of it was live. Um, playing and mm-hmm. I sang it and it's on the end of a movie called The Cell. Well that's cool and I know you've yeah. done some uh, music for TV shows like Friends, Oh yeah, The Sopranos. That's right. Um, the Fresh Prince was, of Bel-Air. I mean, uh, I, I've lost count actually. <laughs> My guess is around 1,500 pieces maybe more when you include commercials I've done, uh, I, all my classical guitar music, string music, uh, every kind of runway music, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, all sorts of dance music, news music, oh, wow. uh, cl- uh, uh, clown music. Mm-hmm. There was a Robin Williams was going to speak and they needed some mm-hmm. kind of like circus or clown type of music, so I wrote okay. that. And I've you? also written uh, two musicals with my partner. Mm-hmm. You know, I've done a lot of, I compose a lot of music. 
Now you had some of your music was on the the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Oh yeah. How? Oh yeah. That, uh, you know, um, I was on the writing end of things, so mm -hmm. I wouldn't. I'd have to look at my royalty sheet to see mm -hmm. which songs were used. But mm -hmm. I would imagine. So I wrote songs that sounded like Beach Boys instrumentals or okay. surf songs or uh, some urban stuff, some dance music, some techno, <laughs> industrial oh, wow. metal, you know, pretty much every genre that exists. You know, they there's, say, there's oh, we need some Tommy Dorsey. Okay. I'd listen to about three Tommy Dorsey records and then I'd put together, you know, swing mm -hmm. songs from the swing era. Now, did you meet and the so cast I, of the, the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? No, you know, I had nothing to do with that. It was um, you just did the so music. The company that I that placed the music for that particular show was mm -hmm. L.A. Post Music. Unfortunately, the owner CEO of the company is no longer with us. But I probably wrote seven hundred pieces for him. Oh wow! Yeah. Um. Let's see. We have another yeah. question coming from Jitters, and I guess his daughter is also listening. And she okay. is a fan of the show Friends. She okay. wants to know, do you have any stories about that you can tell? Oh, now you've really got me now because, <laughs> I, as I said, I was on the writing end and I would just get these orders to compose a certain genre of music. Mm -hmm. and, you know, five of these and three of these and two of these and ten of those. And I would just write it and send it in. So I was so busy composing that I cannot tell you which pieces of music. Mm -hmm. I'd have to do some research myself. Yeah, so maybe I'd be a little bit embarrassed, but to say that oh, I don't even no. know which songs were best. <laughs> I mean, come on. With, with You've been in the industry yeah, and doing music so, for so long, yeah. and you've done so many yeah. things. You can't remember everything at one time. Right. Like when I was asked to write surf music, I wrote 23 in two days. I had a drummer and a bass player, and I would just go, okay, we're going to do this one like this, like this, like this, and i just make it up on the spot. Oh, wow. So I recorded 23 surf songs in two days, and I worked with the producer, the owner of LA Post Music, and we did 14 cues in one day. We didn't program all the drums, but I wrote the pieces. Mm -hmm. In one day, I did 14. That was the greatest number I did in one day. Oh, wow. Now, now I have a question. Only because he he's so well known. Your dad worked for MacArthur, right? Right after the war, during the occupation of Japan. Right. Did you ever meet MacArthur? Oh no, that was long before. I to tell you the truth, I don't know if MacArthur was alive. Well, he was certainly discredited by the time I was born. Oh, okay. Yeah, MacArthur is, was considered a kind of a hero in mm -hmm. Japan. And, but he had some real high aspirations. Uh, he had his eye on the presidency. He had oh. his eye to nuke China, what, all these different things. Mm -hmm. And he, and Truman pretty much fired him. Oh, wow. So, so he was discredited by the American government, but he was always regarded a hero in Japan. Okay. And my dad worked for him for maybe three years at MacArthur headquarters in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And then, then my dad came back to the States to work for a couple years before going back to Japan and staying there for 26 years. But he didn't work for MacArthur after that. Okay. He just worked as an attorney and then later uh, an appellate court judge. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, but that's still cool because that's, you know, something you don't hear is that, you know, you can read about MacArthur from, you know, the United States perspective, but you don't hear about, you know, the Japanese perspective. Right. But there's no doubt that he had a lot of charisma. He was like the rock star of the military. You know, I have actually heard that once before. Hmm. Yeah. And you've appeared on a lot of TV shows. You have appeared on... What? Can you hear me? I'm just talking on top of each other. I'm sorry. Ask that question again. Oh, um, you've appeared on some several TV shows, too. Let's see. Have I? Well, I was... Let's see. I was on the gong show. Really? uh, I am the walrus, acoustically, yeah. And and, uh, we were... We came in second place. Uh just under this dance group that mm-hmm. was amazing and they danced to some hip-hop song and won it but I, used to I was watch actually the offered show. a musical director position for the gong show and I had to turn it down because I was too busy okay so I had to hand it over to Nathan East famous bass player right and you were on MTV Unplugged with Stevie Nicks oh yeah storytellers uh, MTV Unplugged I was on Saturday Night Live three times, uh, twice with uh, Don Henley, once with Mick Jagger. Mm-hmm. Um, I appeared on a bunch of shows, you know, Solid Gold, Top of the Pops, David Letterman, uh, Tonight Show. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's amazing. Um, do you look back at things like that that you've done? And is it, does it like sink in what you've done or is it kind of like a surreal moment at that, at that time? There is an aspect of surreality, I would say, because the pressure of playing for a viewing audience of 7 million or 12 million, no matter what, you're live. It doesn't right. matter that they're recording it on a videotape, it's still live. Mm-hmm no matter what and that's something to keep in mind you don't really get a second chance and so you have to be all there so to speak in terms of your Mm -hmm. awareness and focus and your ability and if something there's a mishap you have to cover for yourself like I broke a string on David Letterman's show because David Letterman keeps his kept the studio at 40 degrees Fahrenheit it was too cold for for my guitar strings and I it broke so Mm -hmm. I had to quickly tune a couple strings to get back in tune and finish up the song like that. Now, is there Things more? Like is there more pressure when you're doing a show like that that that's being televised versus you're on stage in front of you know tens of thousands of people? Well, the difference is the viewing audience is you know ten thousand for an arena, mm-hmm. or fifteen thousand, twenty thousand, hundred twenty thousand for a big festival, but. When you're in TV land, you're playing for millions of people at the same time. So if you have one chance to do everything right, you can get nervous and get sweaty palms and, and get, you know, ha- mm-hmm. have your anxiety get the better of you. And so one of the, your skills is to overcome that. And how, how did you overcome that? I just learned early on it's that what I learned when I was 10 years old to embrace music from almost the 
cosmic level and mm-hmm. just to lose my 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 ego myself mm-hmm. uh, consciousness and be part of a maybe a greater consciousness which is the one where your self-consciousness is dampened <laughs> yeah. and your body image is dampened and you sort of meld into the, the environment and be a part of it embrace the moment and focus uh, it's all about focus Right. It really is the success of a moment like that one chance in three minutes to give it your best shot on TV, on live TV, is demanding, no question. Oh, yeah. But you have to rise above it. It's the same thing you do on your radio show. You have to be yourself, be natural, and immerse yourself in the moment. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's the best advice I could give. I think I'm trying to explain the, how I feel right. when I'm doing that, but it's the one where I've lost a sense of self-consciousness. And I've been self-conscious before. Yeah, you know, when I'm auditioning or something, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of self-consciousness, but I do my best to overcome it through my focus. Now, why don't you tell us about the song Skyrocket? Oh, Skyrocket. Yes, I love that song. Well, that is my kind of pian or tribute to everyone during pandemic times. And I talk about deserted streets. Mm-hmm. I, I just remember driving down streets of old town Pasadena and seeing that it was so desolate. You could just pretty much lie down in the middle of the road and take a nap and nobody would run <laughs> you over. And it's just, it looked like a ghost town. Mm-hmm. And the whole of society seems like a ghost society. It's hard on everyone. I think it engenders anxiety and depression. No wonder it's at an all-time high right now. Right. Um, it, yeah, I think it's a lot it's of really people distressing. miss that, that human so interaction. Right. And then there's um, the element of systemic racism. I incorporate that into the song mm-hmm. uh, and so it was just um, kind of an empathic uh, expression of what it feels like to feel so isolated or to be uh, alienated from rest of society whatever that is whatever exists people cool. who have the people who don't have and it was just sort of reaching out Mm-hmm. to people that don't have. Sometimes I feel like that. Uh, I don't, I'm not hanging out with a lot of friends right now and mm-hmm. not hanging out much. And yeah, there's an aspect of that that I feel kind of alone in that. And so it, it's, it, it's an expression of those feelings that have been evoked by the epidemic, or pandemic. Okay. Yeah. And, well, we're going to yeah. take so it. there are two levels. There's yeah, yeah. Go we're going to take a quick break and we're going to play Skyrocket for our listeners. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. You got DJ Fire and Fire Flames where you want the best. No squirrels. I got the best. Right here on Breakout DJ's Radio.
from Hippie Spirit. He wants Hippie to know, Yes. Oh, he's an awesome DJ on, on the our station as well. Um, wow. He wants to know 
who yeah. is left in the Who from the original band? Oh, well, Keith Moon died in 1978, mm-hmm. and I believe John Entwistle died around 2002 in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So the only surviving members are Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. Cool. And you are also a writer. I am a writer. I'm writing a book. It's my third book, actually. The second book was is unfinished, but I will write that later in my life. It's about okay. the magic of melodies. My first book was an autobiography, and I have a the manager shopping that book, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I might have to self-publish it, but um, my third book is my I'm most proud of, and it is called The Big Strum Theory, and it's about combining, deriving a philosophy and maybe even a spirituality based on music and science. Um, in the spirit of, say, Carl Sagan, who mm-hmm. said that science is... Uh, not only a source of spirituality, but it is a profound source of spirituality. Mm-hmm. So my book is sort of based on real things. But uh, how, how did you come up with that? Yeah, how did well, you come up I, with that topic? Well, I've had an interest in science all my life since I was about four years old because my grandfather was a chemist, had a background in chemistry. He taught me about the composition of the air and solar system, about the solar system, about the galaxy and about the the size of the universe, things like this. Mm-hmm. So, and I ha- I've had an unabiding interest in all science: botany, biology, physiology, neuroscience. Oh wow! Uh, but there's a lot of things in neuroscience and physics, uh, astrophysics and quantum mechanics, and. Uh, physics at all scales um, that relate to music Mm -hmm. because there is oscillation in every what we call particles but it's all just bundles of energy right and they're emitting uh, emitting uh, different kinds of radiation or uh, it could be magnetic it Mm -hmm. could be uh, the pulse of the blood at a microscopic level it could be the brain waves, it could be neurochemical transmission, but they all come in the form of waveforms, mm-hmm. and they're all emitting a pitch. Oh, okay. And, yeah, so even atoms, like a hydrogen atom or any molecule or any cell, things at every scale uh, are emitting vibrations. Mm-hmm. And this is in keeping with what Tesla said, and that's that... Uh, that if you want to find the secrets of the universe, think in terms of vibration, frequency, and energy. Mm-hmm. So I kind of run with that idea and try to reveal what we can find uh, in terms of evidence in nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, like we just were discovering that you know in the last ten years, twenty years maybe, uh, there's been a there's a burgeoning interest in plant science, and we we're learning that trees talk to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. Unbelievably, it sounded like pseudoscience to me. I wouldn't have believed it. But oh, I believe it. Plants do talk to each other. Plants do talk to each other. They communicate with insects. They uh, yep. do all sorts of things. They communicate by odor. They also do uh, a complex series of transmissions uh, with uh, electrical impulse, electronic mm-hmm. impulse, neuro- uh, chemical impulse. Uh, 
and they talk to each other when they need um, nutrients or water or they're warning each other of danger, mm-hmm. things like that. It's just fascinating to me. And all of those waveforms, any waveform is emitting a pitch. And so to me, that is the larger scale of music that exists in the universe. So, Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of, of it that way, about. but it does. It, it, that's, how, that's at the heart of the structure and interaction of everything that's occurring at every level. Mm-hmm. You know, things are self-organizing, and it, in a way, music is at the heart of this. That's why I call it the big strum theory, is, which is a play, of course, on right. the big bang theory, how mm-hmm. it all started. Well, the big strum didn't start till 380,000 years into the origin of the universe, mm-hmm. and the universe had cooled enough to let out some electromagnetic radiation, and it spread all over space the troughs and crests of space, and, mm-hmm. and we can measure that. Uh, in, 19, in the 1960s, a couple of radio um, scientists, uh, while they were trying to build a better transmitter receiver, they uh, discovered this thing called um, the, uh, the CMB, the mm-hmm. Cosmic Microwave Background, and that is has a pitch, and it's uh, pretty close to an A-flat. Oh, Wow. <laughs> the cool. fundamental note. And they've discovered the harmonics of that fundamental frequency. And so a decade later after that and a few years after that, they've discovered up to six harmonics. Oh, wow. That exists in, you know, the universe mm-hmm. at the astrophysical level. Right. Now, see, when I was raised, I was taught, you know, you don't hurt the animals, and that included, you know, insects and, and whatever. You just if you don't want them in your home, you move them out. Right. You don't necessarily kill them. And then it also right. extended to, you know, you don't pull up plants because that hurts them. You don't cut a branch off a tree because they that hurts them. It does. And they find that grass when it's mowed, mm-hmm. the way they scream is they let out that odor that sounds so sweet and wonderful to us. Mm-hmm. That's actually like a scream that the lawn is, oh wow, uh, you know, emanating, emitting. <laughs> now I don't want to cut my lawn anymore. I know. What do you do with that? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, um, okay, I don't want it to scream. Yeah. I mean, I love that smell, but I don't, if it's a scream, I don't want nothing to do with that. Right. We have a question from Tazzy. Yes. Oh, this is a good question. Okay. Where do you think you would be in life if you never got into music? Mm. The very first career I had in mind when I was five, six, seven was to become a movie director. Mm-hmm. And then it, later in life, around fifth grade, I wanted to be an architect. Mm-hmm. Um... And then later in life, I, if I had a clone or two, one of them <laughs> would have become a neuroscientist and another one would have become a physicist. Oh, nice. Yeah. And we have a question from Hippie Spirit. He would like to know what music influences, or what music has influenced you, or what is your like favorite band to listen to? It's so varied. I like... Everything from Stravinsky, Bach to Beatles, John Coltrane, uh, 
Henry Mancini, uh, Bernard Herrmann. Mm-hmm. I like all these different kinds of music. I like John Lennon's music. I like Hendrix's music, Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. I like, it's so varied. Miles uh, Davis, I, I grew up with that. So I, I use some of that, um, the, the music, musical influences mm-hmm. that I encountered growing up. I use that in my... If you notice, like, you just played that song, Skyrocket, well, that contains some, what I call, uh, Mansonized. Mm -hmm. That's Henry Mancini. I've taken certain structural uh, mannerisms, Mm -hmm. musical mannerisms, and uh, effects of certain cadences. I have, they're they're my answer to the music of Henry Mancini. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Hippie Spirit has two comments. One of them goes back to when we were talking about, you know, how everything has a vibration and it's basically a sound. He said everything yes. communicates in one form or another. Right. And then based on what you just answered, he says, wow, a wide array. Yes. Here's a question yes, for so. you. Who was... What Let was, me comment on that. Okay, that go ahead. Writing my book has been like making an oil painting because there's no end until you say that's enough mm-hmm. that's enough because what I'm talking about encompasses pretty much everything our okay. thoughts our dreams our illusions mm-hmm. our constructs our, our morals our ethics our, our laws everything is dependent on the interaction of waveforms of some kind mm-hmm when you're writing that book and you know you're going to such so many different categories really how oh, yeah. you how do you think you're going to know when it, when it's enough right i have to start when to stop but how do you think you're going to find that that stopping point well i had vowed to make uh, my chapter on plants mushrooms and bees mm-hmm. and in my last chapter but mm-hmm. I want to write this other one called musical qualia which is kind of an esoteric subject but qualia is a term that neuroscientists use to talk about subjective experience mm-hmm. the experience of the color red as opposed to like what the frequency of red is mm-hmm. because that's more of a cognitive way of approaching the color red it doesn't really describe it we only know color red by shared experience and that irrevocable mm, uh, property that we uh, encounter when mm-hmm. we see something. The green tree, the, you know, the, you, you can't look at the sunset and go, oh, ch- and change it to green. It's going to be yellow and orange and red. Mm-hmm. And that's our experience of it. So that's qualia. Okay, that, that's actually really three interesting. Laws of qualia, which are based kind of loosely based on uh, the Newton's uh, laws of classical mechanics, mm-hmm. and it can be applied to our experience of consciousness. Oh wow! So, yeah. So I can't wait so for you already, to finish. I, I, I want to read I your book. I want to write a chapter on qualia. After all, yeah, I want to read your book when you're done. I, I mean, <laughs> because there, there's. You know, I've talked with you before, and there's a lot of things that are going in it, and, you know, you've told me, and it's like, you know, I never realized that, and now I want to know more. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of where my head is at, too, Mm -hmm. because 
I just want to keep learning. And the more I learn, the more I realize that there's a reason why we say everything is connected on some level. Right. It's not just some kind of metaphysical delusion or some pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. There, there's actual science to back up how everything is connected. And that's, I mean, I find that really interesting, especially like with the plants and the trees and, and you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, I've heard that you're doing a TV show. Oh, I, we have a trailer and a deck, pitch deck, and, and um, we were actually working with a production company, and um, it may turn into a TV show, but uh, we're just at the nascent stages of mm-hmm. developing the show based on my book. And so oh, my hope cool. is to offer the book along with the TV show. Oh, that would be really interesting. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. That would be cool, because then yeah. you can, you know, expand or explain or whatever about the book on right. the show. Right. Exactly. That's way cool. So yeah, music is you know part of anthropology, part of uh, evolution. You mm-hmm. know, when we play music, there's evidence that humans, early humans, were playing music, mm-hmm. and they're, they found a vulture bone made into a flute. Oh, I didn't so know that. Was that. evidence that uh, from 40,000 years ago. Oh, wow. And that's evidence that music brought people together because music definitely uh, affects our bodies in such a way that we produce oxytocin, mm-hmm. which is uh, a hormone and a neurotransmitter that's responsible for things like breastfeeding or child rearing or mm-hmm. uh, social unity, um, trust, and, uh, and even love. So, yeah. uh, um, when we're producing oxytocin when we play music, no wonder we feel social unity when we listen to, you know, people of different ideologies. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking since the pandemic, there's been like a polarization of ideologies, right. to say the least. Oh, yeah. And I think a person with uh, a right-wing frame of mind and a person who's more liberal in mm-hmm. perspective, and come together, play music, and not worry about how they differ in their opinions. Oh, exactly. And so that's the beauty of music. It really <laughs> brings people together, with, and you don't even think about it. No, it just and you really quite don't. Naturally. I know, you know, I have different playlists on my phone, and if I'm, you know, upset or angry about something, I play one certain mm-hmm. playlist, and I started off with more heavy metal, you know, really hard music, and then gradually yeah. I bring it down, and uh-huh. by the time I'm done, I'm, I'm not mad anymore. I don't even know why I was mad. Right. Because it has, exactly. music has that, such a powerful effect on people. Right. It helped me, I had a depression in my early 30s, mm-hmm. and um, I had suicidal tendencies, and I overcame them by forcing myself to write song after song after song. And oh, I wow. pulled myself out of depression doing that. Mm-hmm. I also use, uh, I know how to play some Bach mm-hmm. on the guitar. And if I'm guitar? suffering from some uh, insomnia, mm-hmm. I play a little classical, I play uh, Hey Sue, The Joy of Man's Desiring, and that puts me right to sleep. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't know you could play Bach on the guitar, though. Oh yeah! Give us a demonstration. While we're talking. <laughs> huh? 
What's that? Oh, I could play it for you while we're talking, but... <laughs> oh, go for it. Please do. That would be awesome. Well, I don't even know if there's a sitting here. It's tuned in, but... I mean, yeah. I, I like some Bach, and I listen to, you know, all the way from classical to, you know, death metal. Just oh, very yeah. little country, because I just can't quite get into country. I like some. Right. right. There's some old country, like, I love, I learned a lot from listening to Chet Atkins. He can play some medium country, and it's creative. So mm -hmm. creative. And uh, there are other guitar players. I mean, there are a whole slew of them from Nashville that are just amazing guitar players, and you know, even Jimmy Page took country and made it his own. That's true. And uh, incorporated into his rock. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, we've so. had a bunch of comments come in. Um, a Jitters says that he knew that music has a lot of power. And right. we were talking about the unification through music. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hippie Spirit... <clears throat> was saying that music's always had a lot of power and you know just take a look at Woodstock how people you know came together Absolutely. at Woodstock Absolutely. yeah Woodstock was definitely the height of social unity mm -hmm. unification no you didn't see too many people get you know, harmed or assaulted or anything like that. Everyone lived in peace, and, and we, I think, as a society, we proved that that was possible. Yeah, because I mean, we there were so many happen. people there. Right, and, and that we don't have to always end in unrest and violence. Exactly. We can, we can help each other out. And you're also so was, in a band, I understand. Yeah, I have a band uh, with uh, Chris Moore. And Simon Daniels and uh, Cosmo, uh, Francesco Cosmo, mm -hmm. and um, we're we have a it's kind of a virtual band, but it's still a band. And, mm -hmm. um, I wrote a lot of the songs, and you uh, might play one for me, right? Uh, uh, let's see, the new video that's coming out is called uh, "Panic Disorder," and um, there's another. Um, uh, ailment, cognitive uh, disruption, you know, anxiety, mm -hmm. which everyone's dealing with, and this, that song um, says something about that. Okay. Now, for our listeners, yeah. the song that we played earlier by Dear Souls, Freedom, that's... Right. That's the band. Right, that's the band. Yep. Incredible drummer, Chris Moore, and uh, great bass playing, great singing, you know, Simon Daniels, played in a band called, oh, or he, he might still play with Autograph, and mm -hmm. Francesco played with uh, Evanescence, Chris Moore toured with the Rock of Ages. Mm -hmm. So that's like an all-star band. Kind of, kind of. We don't say that right. explicitly, but <laughs> I guess you <laughs> Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we are going to play Panic Disorder so everybody can hear it. 
Okay. You got DJ Fire and Fire's Flames where you want the best? I got the best. Right here on Breakout DJ's Radio.
All right, we are back and we are live with the one, the only, the undeniable Frank Symes. Well, thank you, Mary. You're welcome. And we have, you and I were talking while the music was playing, and you were telling me something about your cats. All right, there weren't my cats. I oh, okay. was visiting my sister, and there was one, there were four cats. Uh-huh. And one of them was an alpha cat that caused trouble with the other three cats, constantly. And they were constantly running away, screeching, and all that. And they were, it was mayhem in our home mm-hmm. with the cats. So I pick up this guitar that wasn't in tune. She had never played it. Mm-hmm. And I started playing, maybe it was Blackbird and some Bach and whatnot. And the cats all settled down. They sat down in a semicircle around me and they just gazed up at me and listened to me playing my, my music. Oh, that's so cool. And they settled down. There was no fighting during mm-hmm. that time. And then when I got up and stopped playing music, they went back to fighting. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, okay, we're done. you're done, so we're going to fight again. Yeah. That's funny. They say that uh, plants do respond to music. Um, they do, and some plants lean into, actually physically lean into the music. Yeah, I've heard they, that. Yeah, yeah. And plants do, they've done count numerous studies about plants and music and when plants are exposed to music they grow better right that's pretty much the verdict is in with that right now i don't i don't keep house plants because Mm -hmm. no matter what i do they will die they i i can't do it i either Mm -hmm. give them too much water i don't give them enough i killed an air fern i don't quite know how that's Mm -hmm. possible Mm. And I mean, I've heard, you know, you talk to your plants, play music and all this. <clears throat> but for me, the plants are like, Mm-mm, get me out of here. Yeah. And I wow. don't know why I can grow. I can mm. do plants outside and I'm fine. But inside plants. Yeah. Nope. Mm. I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I think they just kind of, they don't like being inside with me. Mm. I don't Maybe know those particular plants were meant to be outside. <clears throat> it is possible. They didn't like the indoor environment. It is they possible. They more sun and wind. Yeah, that they could want, be. Yeah. Because, I mean, they I've tried having, like, the, the big burns in the bathroom because the shower and the heat, the, the steam, they like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They, they would get to a certain point, and then they're like, nope, now I'm going to die. Ah. So I oh. usually would give them to somebody. I've got friends of mine, and they, they have a green thumb, and... I'm like, can you save this? And they're like, yeah. And I finally just gave them all my plants. And I'm like, here, just just take them because they're all going to die with me. And the plants are still doing great at her house. Is that right? They just, whatever reason, they didn't like my my house. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And I always thought it was weird, but I'm like, oh. I don't have an answer to that one. I have no (laughs) idea why why she didn't do well in your house. Yeah. Well, maybe you can explore yeah. that in another book. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I could just write a book on on the plant communication. There you go. Yeah. Maybe that would help plants if I got a plant. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know if I want to. I don't want to risk the plant. 
Like, I buy it and I'm kind of like, I'm sorry, you're going to die at my house. Yeah. So, you uh, also have children. I do. One's a professor on the tenure track at Boston University. Oh, wow. PhD from Harvard. I went to see her give her a dissertation. Mm-hmm. In between dates with the Who, it was very risky, but I took the chance, flew out to Boston, and watched her give the dissertation, and she was magnificent. And a few minutes after the dissertation, she was granted her PhD. And then she went on to get uh, research grants and publishing uh, a publishing deal. She just mm-hmm. wrote a book about, I believe it's about incarceration and demographics. But, oh, uh, cool. And... Uh, yeah, she, it's kind of a, it's a groundbreaking book in sociology, and she teaches various classes at Boston University. So that's one daughter. She she's musical too. She plays the upright bass and sings like a bird. Oh, nice! And then my middle daughter also sings like an angel, and the two of them are unbelievable. I have to send you a track of them singing a song that they dedicated to me on my birthday. It's beautiful, and. Um, so my middle 